Hello, welcome to the St. Paul's Podcast, where you'll find talks from our Sunday services. For more information, feel free to check out our website, stpauls.co.uk. Thank you. Our reading this morning is from uh, St. Luke's Gospel, chapter 24, reading from verse 13 to verse 36. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here, there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in the word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, oops, water, Um, Jesus continued as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over, so he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, he gave thanks, He broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked to us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke bread. This is the word of the Lord. Sam, thank you very much for that. Thanks for reading. Um, Please do uh, keep that passage open. We're going to focus on verses 25 to 35. Um, My name's Mark, for those who don't know me. I'm one of the occasional preachers here, so it's lovely to be speaking with you. Let's just uh, open in prayer. 
Lord, you've given us that word invitation, and we just want to invite you to be with us, because we want you to reveal yourself to us, just as you did to those disciples. Lord, may your word and your spirit burn in our hearts, and may you transform us for your glory and your Father's glory and our Father's glory. Amen. So, how do we cope in times of stress, in times of pressure? How do we cope with disappointment? In whom or in what do we really trust? I've been pondering these questions in the light of um, the devastation that we saw in Malawi um, when Cyclone Freddy passed through and, and the, some of the people who, who are in the areas we, we work in uh, with, with our charity, just seeing what they went through. Um, how would I cope if my house fell down? We have got this horrific picture of two ladies standing by their front door there's the door and the door frame that's all that remains of their house how would I cope? I'd lose all my belongings what if I'd lost loved ones in, the, in that tragic mudslide just after the mudslide we went to one of the makeshift camps that was being used for the, some of the survivors and the people who'd been displaced, who'd lost their homes. Um, and um, <clears throat> it was really very difficult. We, uh, we took some giant cooking pots because they had food but didn't have anything to cook for that number of people. And we just tried to share some of Jesus' hope and, and to pray with some groups. But it was really... It was really hard, really awful to speak. We went to one room and there was this group of children who didn't know where their parents were. Maybe their parents weren't even alive. Uh, we um, spoke to some men who were incredibly downcast and depressed. And then went into a third room where there were a group of women and young children. And we spoke to them and they responded by praising God. So these three rooms such different responses, but the same event. As I've been pondering these questions of how, <clears throat> how I cope with stress, with pressure, with disappointment, and who I really trust in. And these obviously are questions that are pertinent to us, but they're also very pertinent to this passage and to these two disciples, Cleopas and his friend. You see, because the, the church, the church is told and retold the Easter story for nearly 2,000 years. And, you know, it's wonderful, it's good news, it's great, it's amazing. But every time we tell it, when we hit the bad bits, we know what's coming next. This passage refers to the first Easter Sunday. This passage refers not to, no, to the day that wasn't known as Good Friday, it was just known as that's when they crucified our Saviour. So if we think about what's happening here, the, these two disciples are going through the most traumatic time. They're massively stressed. They are completely bewildered. They are completely disappointed. I mean, these, these two, they were Jesus' followers. They've seen him. 
healing people. They've heard his teaching. They've heard him talk about his forthcoming going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to rise again on the third day. He's heard that. They saw him raise Lazarus from the dead. They know he can do these things. Maybe they were even in the upper room on Thursday night when they had the supper. And once again, he talked about, this is what's going to happen to me. Maybe they were there later in the evening when fear fell on all the disciples and they all ran away. Did they experience the sight of Christ dying on the cross? Did they see the limp, broken, lifeless body put in the tomb just before sunset, just before Passover started on the Friday night? They see the guards being posted by the temple rulers so that you know, everyone has to stay away. And they'd heard, it says in the passage, they'd heard about, you know, on Sunday morning, this thing about an empty tomb. No guards, they run away. And a vision of angels. Jesus is risen. This is all going through their heads. This is all happening in real time as Easter Sunday, the first Easter Sunday, plays out. But then it seems to me that stress, disappointment, fear gets the better of them. Because they wander off to Emmaus. Why, Why would you leave Jerusalem at that precise moment in time? Wouldn't you want to stay? Wouldn't you want to see how events play out? Why, why wander off to some place seven miles away? Well, because I think they were completely adult. They didn't know what was going on. They just walked away. And then this man catches up with them, starts talking to them. Only guy in this whole city who doesn't seem to know what's been going on. But he sees their confusion. He sees their, their depression. And so they explain everything they knew, maybe hoping they'd get some sympathy from him. But instead they get, how foolish you are. How slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Probably not the response they were expecting. Now, it's definitely definitely a harsh rebuke. It's definitely a fair rebuke. I mean, Scripture did explain what was happening, and Jesus had forewarned them. But they clearly didn't believe, either of them, because... They wouldn't be wandering off to Emmaus if they believed it. But when this man says, but did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Then you can see they're hooked. They hang on his every word. It's a big challenge for me, but interesting. isn't it interesting? When, we, when they accept the rebuke rather than fighting it, that's what I normally do, then they receive this most amazing revelation and teaching. We don't know exactly what Jesus said, but we do know that Scripture is replete with these references to the Messiah, the need for him to die for our sins, and his resurrection. Let me just pick a few bits and pieces. So 13 centuries before Christ was born... Then Moses, when he was writing Genesis, building on the traditions and building on what the Spirit of God had actually put in him and the stories that had been passed down from generation to generation, he talks about God warning the serpent in the Garden of Eden that 
There's a man coming that will crush your head whilst you strike his heel. That's 13 centuries before Christ. If we move forward about three, four hundred years, David is, is writing down the Psalms as his praise to God. Praise six, sorry, Psalm 16, he includes this line, My body also will rest secure, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. So who's this faithful one that will not see decay? Psalm 22, which is actually the psalm Jesus recites when he's on the cross, is an amazing description of that crucifixion. It says, I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My mouth is dried up like a piece of pottery. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. People divide my clothes among them. They cast lots for my garment. And yet even that psalm ends with people praising God. Determined that the righteousness of the Lord will be passed down and proclaimed to future generations. And if we now go forward another 200 years, this is still sort of 800 years before Jesus is born. Isaiah adds to the picture. In Isaiah 53, we see that the Messiah was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. It was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, which means he dies, he gives up his life, the Messiah will see his offspring and prolong his days, which means that somehow he's going to be alive after he's dead. And Daniel 7 talks of one who looks like the Son of Man, who's given authority, glory, sovereign power, whom all nations and people will worship, and whose kingdom will never be destroyed. So scripture is just full of this explanation of what's going on. And so in this review of the scriptures, Jesus helps these two wanderers, these two people who've just wandered off, to realize that the death and the resurrection of the Messiah was ordained by God from the beginning. It did happen, it has happened, it is happening just as the scriptures said it would, and it's achieved all the scriptures said it would. And Jesus does all this explanation without bringing out the most, his most compelling piece of evidence for his, for the, his resurrection. He does it all without them knowing who he is. And then we come to invitation. In verse 28, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continues if we were going on further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us. He, they, they inviting him in. And because they invited him in, he reveals himself. Jesus cannot eat without giving thanks for food, for life, for the love of his God. And as, they, as he does that, they realize who they spent the afternoon with, realize who has been speaking to them. And just a little aside here, but do, do we build enough acts of thankfulness into our day where we stop and we just give thanks to God?
Because when we do that, we focus on the good things we've received from God, not everything else. Malamians always challenge me. They, they do this easily and daily, and I think, but you seem to have so much less than I have. Why don't I do this more? Why is not this not more natural for me to do when I have so much than it is for you to do when you seem to have so little? But thankfulness does build faith and a recognition of what we all receive so often. So Jesus is recognized by his friends, by his disciples, by this act of thankfulness. And that's when they see that it's not just scripture that attests the resurrection, it's Jesus himself who also says it's true because I'm here, I'm meeting with you. So if you like, you've got the word of God, the scriptures, and you've got the spirit of God, the presence of Christ, being in agreement and saying, this is real. And it's at this point that suddenly for these two wanderers, despite the confusion, despite the stress, it all suddenly becomes crystal clear. And they say to each other, well, who, who else explains the, the scriptures this clearly? Who else makes our hearts burn with the love, love of God? It is him. It's Jesus. He's risen. We can't keep this quiet. We need to tell those guys back in Jerusalem. Let's go. And given probably what the road was like, um, it's a bit of a dodgy journey. It's probably dark by now. Okay, it's a full moon because it's Passover. <clears throat> it's, most people would not have undertaken that journey lightly. But they had to. They, they were compelled to. So they returned to Jerusalem full of hope. They want to tell all the other disciples what they have experienced. And when they eventually get there, they meet the, the 11 and a whole bunch of other people saying, the Lord's risen. He's appeared to Simon. And then they're all talking about, well, this has happened and that happened. And they're amazing. And then watch what, what happens in, this, in the verse just after we finish reading, verse 36. While they were still talking about all of this, Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace be with you. So if we step back, we can see what's actually been happening. All the disciples are supposed to be in Jerusalem, waiting. These two decide to wander off somewhere. So Jesus goes after them. Does this feel a bit like you sometimes? So it feels like me. He meets them in their need. He answers their questions. He bolsters their faith by revealing himself to them again. And he sends them back to where they're supposed to be all the time. And then as soon as they get there, he comes to everyone. Because he wants to give peace to everyone, all of them. He wants them all to know that, to wait for the Holy Spirit, who's going to bring them power and his presence. And he's commissioning them all to take the gospel to the ends of the world. And the reason we're here today is because that's exactly what they did do. Otherwise, there wouldn't be a, a church in a far off place like Chim. We're not particularly close to Jerusalem, are we? So, what does this all mean for us? Are we, are we people who wonder, or are we people who wonder at what God is doing? 
I, I'm an activist, so I find it very easy to wonder rather than to wonder and reflect and wait. I think there's a few things that come out of this passage for us. Firstly, most importantly, despite that resurrection isn't an everyday experience that's so it's hard to believe, it really happened, it is true, and you can be sure of that. And the fact that resurrection is true is really important because it shows that God the Father has accepted Jesus' sacrifice of his life for our sins. So that means we are forgiven, we are redeemed, we are saved from all our sin, from all our error. The way back to the Father is there, it is open, and we can follow that way. If there was just a death on the cross and nothing else, then how do we know if the sacrifice has been accepted? And the other obvious thing about the resurrection is it it shows there is hope in every possible situation. Because when we're with Christ, death is not the end. Jesus has shown that. He's proved that. So let's just build our faith on that fact. The resurrection is true. I think we can also follow the example of Cleopas and his friend. And we can invite Jesus even more into our lives. And one of the benefits of the resurrection is that Jesus can be in every time and every place. Because he comes by his spirit rather than in a bodily form. And if you haven't, if you don't feel you've invited Jesus into your life yet, please consider it. Jesus is seeking you out, just as so he did with Cleopas's friend. He's wanting to meet you in your need, whatever that need is. He's wanting to make time to speak with you, to answer your questions, to bolster your faith in him. In Revelation 3.20, similar to the Mark 6 passage, that there's another invitation. Jesus says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with you. So invite him in and he'll reveal himself. If you don't open the door, he will not barge in. That's not how he does things. We have to open the door. We have to say, Lord, come. Just as clear class as his friend said, hey, come, stay with us. Be with us. If you want to speak more about that today, maybe you've got a Christian friend, there's a member of the clergy, myself, members of the prayer team, please, please speak. We can, you know, we can talk with you and you can receive Jesus' forgiveness and his healing today. And if, like many of us, you feel you've already invited Jesus in, are there parts of your life that are still close to him? Bits that you sort of you know, don't like to talk about. Um, I, mean, I think we all try and hide parts of ourselves from him. It's a little bit daft because he doesn't know all about us. He knows all our triumphs and all our disasters. He knows the good, the bad, and the ugly. So are we willing to let him invite him into those parts? Once again, it's something that we have to, we have to say, Lord... I know it's a mess, but I really need you here. And just like the thing that Nico shared earlier, you know, 
He's not a reluctant forgiver. He's not a grumpy forgiver. He's, he's not saying, well, I've, no, we've discussed this before. When are you going to sort yourself out? He wants to be with you. Because he knows it's only when we invite him in and he transforms us that these issues actually get dealt with. And then, Cleopas and friend, didn't you feel the fire burning? So do we want our hearts to be set on fire again by Jesus? Now, how, how might that happen? Well, I think we're all different. So I can give you a couple of examples. Um, they may work for you, they may not. But Jesus knows what's right for you. So if you ask him, if you ask Christian friends, discuss it in your life groups, you can find what works for you. So when I, when I was in Malawi, and this might have been due to the the weather that was hot, wet, noisy, might have been due to the, the stress of the situation. I found, I tend to find I was waking up really early. Um, and um, eventually I started to use that time to pray and to try and listen to Jesus. Sometimes I would, I would just try, try worshipping by taking you know, some scriptures that describe Jesus and who he is and what he's like and just you know, repeat repeat those when I started. Sometimes I'd try and pray in tongues. Other times I would try and be still and listen to what the Holy Spirit was saying to me. I'd also pray for protection for my family, protection for the people we, were, we, we knew in Malawi. And I'm very thankful that I actually had those times. I, you know, if I could have stayed in bed, I, um, I might have thought that was better, but it actually would have been far worse. I'm also very thankful for the people who prayed for us and prayed for the you know, people we're working with because those prayers make such a difference. And, and together, when you put all that together, what difference does it make to me? Well, I, I had more confidence to move forward. I didn't withdraw from difficult situations that were happening around us. I actually went forward into them, um, which was quite scary at times and quite difficult. But I had confidence because I knew the Lord was with, with, with us. And, no, if we had issues and needs, then they were addressed as, as they happened. And I'm not sure I would have had that if I had not been spending that time in prayer. And that sense of knowing that Jesus really was with us, what was going on. And it's interesting, because I've, I've noticed that being back here, I'm doing slightly less of that, and I think I've been challenged while preparing this talk, so well... Maybe time to restart that. So maybe that would work for you. Another example is a friend I know who's spending more time reading scripture and listening to, to sermons from Bible teachers online and also where Bible teachers get together online and discuss issues and stuff. And he's clearly going in wisdom and the knowledge of what various scriptures mean and how he can apply them to his life. He asked Jesus to reveal his heart and his purpose and he's growing his love for the Lord and as he does that he's finding it easier to see where his life is out of step with scripture and then when you spot a difference you can choose to follow and trust Jesus even if that means that you're going against the, the current prevailing flow of our ever changing culture so those are just two examples so I don't know what's going to work for you um, that's something between you, you and the Lord. But you know, 
Wouldn't it be great to, to recapture that burning? I think we all probably felt it when we first became Christians, but sometimes things get, we, we allow things to get slightly stale. Because it's as we discover and rediscover who Jesus is, our hearts get reignited. So, going back to my opening questions about how do you cope and whom and what do you trust? Well, we do know the answer. We trust in our Lord and Saviour Jesus. Why? Well, because he's shown his love and he's shown the Father's love by dying on the cross for us. But he's also shown his power and the Father's power because he's been raised to life. There's no one else who's done that. No one else who's worth following. And how do we cope in times of stress, times of pressure, times of disappointment? Well, it's partly by just, in those difficulties, giving thanks to God and praising God and then letting him lead us through these difficult times. Because he's the only one who can give us what we need. He's the only one who you can really rely on. So in summary, the resurrection happened. Jesus and scripture can be trusted. And that gives us rescue and redemption. It's our choice whether we want to invite Jesus more into our lives and be transformed. So are we willing to go for that? And as we discover more about Jesus and we rediscover, let's allow our hearts to be burning again for him because he is here now and he's here always and he comes to bring peace let's pray we'll start with a time of quiet so you can just speak to Jesus in your heart Say whatever you want to say, whatever's on your heart. And also give him space to highlight things for you, things that are relevant for you, things that will build you up and transform you. So it's just a time of, time of quiet now. Come, Lord Jesus, by your Spirit, come. Lord Jesus, thank you that you died for us. Thank you that you rose again. Lord, we want to invite you into a part of our lives so you can transform us, so we can become the people you've made us to be, your people, following and trusting in you. And Lord, where we're wandering around. Change our wandering into wondering at your love, your perfect love, your amazing love and your power and all that you can do in us and through us.
Lord, we want to invite you to be our Lord and we can be your followers. Lord, may our hearts burn in love for you and thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you give us your peace. Amen.